If you have your Bibles, turn with me to an amazing little letter uh, to the Church of Colossae. It's called Colossians. Uh, it's in the back of your Bibles in the New Testament. Uh, this morning, we're going to start a new sermon series that will really take us through the summer months. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's family values. Uh, we're just coming off the heels of a sermon series called We Are Family. We are part of God's family. What amazing grace. What incredible power of the work of Christ Jesus that sinners like us could be adopted in and are made a part of God's family. But with that family comes the privilege of knowing family values. What does it mean uh, for us to be a part of that family? What does it mean for us to live as a part of that family? Well, England right now is in the midst of what they call a platinum jubilee. Uh, they are celebrating this 70-year reign of Queen Elizabeth, and it happens to be the longest reign of a monarch in England's history. Now, you think about all the, the people that were there, you know, King Henry uh, uh, and the different kings that happened to be there, and the queens, Queen Mary, uh, Bloody Mary, and here you have Elizabeth, and 70 years of reign, the longest in England's history, so they're having this huge platinum jubilee, and I personally believe if you're able to do anything for 70 years, they should have a jubilee, right? I mean, you, after 70 years, you need a parade. I mean, you need something, and none of us are like the Queen of England, you know? We don't get quite as fancy of a celebration, but what an amazing celebration. On Friday, as celebration was, was rolling along, uh, you had Prince Harry, uh, and you had his wife, Meghan Markle, uh, as they were walking out of a service, a service called the Service of Thanksgiving, uh, they walked out of a beautiful cathedral called St. Paul's Cathedral, very similar to this place. Um, anybody been to St. Paul's? Absolutely amazing place. Um, so they're coming out of this beautiful cathedral. They're having this celebration, a, a, a service of Thanksgiving uh, about the Queen. And here you have uh, Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan. And guess what happens? They get booed. <laughs> the royal family uh, is booed. Uh, interesting response. Uh, some of you know where we're going with this. Uh, shortly thereafter, you have Prince William uh, and his wife, Kate Middleton, come out. And they're like cheering like crazy. Like, wow. Like rock stars. What a contrast between being booed and, and being cheered. Uh, you want to say, well, what happened to Prince Harry and Meghan? Why were the people booing them after the service. Well, you know, it was back in 2020. If you've missed this tabloid, where you been? Um, but they decided, you know what? Uh, being a part of the royal family for Prince Harry was not his cup of tea. You see what I did there? Cup of tea. Don't want to miss those things. Those are those little nuances. And so, so they, they kind of like resign. Uh, they they uh, demit. Um, they will basically say, hey, we no longer want to be a part of the royal family. And they're no longer called senior royals. Uh, they didn't have a certain spot they couldn't go to. They, they no longer had that. And so although Prince Harry clearly is a part of the royal family, and the royal family values now really aren't his cup of tea, uh, when that reality is, people boo. Uh, they boo you because you're like, hey, you're a part of this family, and you don't want to live up to your family values. You don't want to live up to your family tradition. You don't want to be a part of this. You're part of the royal family, and you're choosing something different. It leads to people booing. All right. 
Interesting. Um, I know what some of you are thinking. You don't care. Well, let's get to Jesus, okay? So in Christ Jesus, listen to this. Watch this. It's amazing that we, if you are a believer, if you are in Christ Jesus, you and I, we are a part of a royal family, the ultimate royal family. We are a part of God's family, and being a part of God's family entitles us to some of the greatest blessings that has ever been known. As a matter of fact, if you're a part of the family by God's grace through faith and the work of Christ, Scripture says that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours. It, it will tell us that we have life and life abundantly. It will tell us that we have a secured future, that we have a covered past, we have an empowered presence. I mean, the blessings of being a part of this family, uh, nothing in the world compares to it. And so if you are in Christ, you are a part of that family, entitles you to the greatest of jubilees. It's going to be way better than the platinum jubilee uh, that the Queen of uh, England is now celebrating when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back. And we are brought home. But being a part of God's family, watch this, it will bind us uh, to being a part of God's family values. If you are a part of the family, uh, call yourself a Christian, or those in Christ, uh, you are entitled, but you are also uh, bound to keep God's family values. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at God's family values. We're going to take a value each week and kind of unpack it according to God's word, not Jeff's opinion. What did God tell us about this? But we're going to start off with a worldview. What should our focus be of the world? How should we see ourselves in the world because of being a part of this? So a few things we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, it's because of this. Because we are a part of God's family, we need to uphold God's family values, right? I mean, it makes sense. Uh, we're going to look at this because we have found, uh, we have our life in Christ, or we found our life in Christ, we should draw our values from Christ. If he gives us our life, he should give us our values. And because we have our values from Christ, I'm going to call that a worldview. There's certain things we must put off. Paul's going to call that our old self. Uh, there's certain things that we must put on. Uh, scripture and Paul's going to tell us that's our new self. And we must let the gospel rule our lives. And so we're going to unpack this. There's so many passages of scripture that we could go to. Last week we were in Romans 12 that reminds us not to conform any longer to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul is going to pick up that theme in Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Um, he'll also say in 2 Corinthians that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is important stuff. Uh, but let's hear the word of God given, written to the church in Colossae. Uh, we're going to look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Let's be mindful this is God's holy and errant word. Uh, the words are there for you on the screen as well. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you first and foremost for your love and grace for us in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, that our life is in union with his, that he is our life, that our life is hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful mystery and how glorious. And God, because of the reality of the good news of the gospel, because of who we are in Christ, your word will tell us that there are things that we need to put off. There's things that we need to put to death. There's things that we need to put on. And there's things that need to dwell richly inside of us. Oh God, would you come and be with your people? Oh God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? God, would you give us minds that would understand your word? And would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? Would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say are merely my opinion are wrong. May those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel, oh God, may we put those things on. Oh God, may we set our minds on those things. May we seek those things. Why? For the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, we pray. In Christ's matchless name, amen. The first thing this amazing passage tells us, because we are part of God's family, we must uphold God's family values. Uh, Those of you who are part of a family, a healthy family, there were family values, family rules, family things that your your parents would want you to live up to. But we got to be reminded as Christians, most important, we are not born into God's family. This is not something innate that we all have. This is not something that when we come out of the womb, we're a part of God's family. We are a part of God's creation. We're all made in God's image, but no one is born into the family of God. Unlike Prince Harry, who was born by a blood into a royal family, he didn't choose that, but that was a birthright for him. But for us, it's not a birthright for us just to be alive, or even church members. 
uh, we have to be born again. Scripture will say it's to be a part of the family of God, not a, not a normal natural birthright. It's actually another type of birth. You have to be born again into God's family. And being born again, Scripture says, is this. It's like being in Christ. Being in Christ Jesus, being in him, Scripture will say, will make us a part of God's family. Uh, there's a great little part of, of uh, the Gospel of John, where John 3 where Jesus is met at night by a man named Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, a rabbi at the time. The reason he came to Jesus at night was he was a bit embarrassed. He didn't want to be seen. He was a religious person that was supposed to know all the answers, but he realized that Jesus had something he didn't. And so he came to him and he's going to say, okay, Jesus, how do I get in? How, how, how do you get into the kingdom of God? And so Jesus is going to say these verses to him in John chapter 3. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Wow, you got to be born again. Nicodemus was confused. How do I do that? I can't enter again into my mother's womb. He said, no, no, that's being born of the water. you got to be born of the Spirit. It's a whole other birthing process of, of, of coming alive spiritually. So you're part of the family if you have been born again according to God's spirit. But there's more than that. Paul will go on to further say it this way, talking about if you are in Christ Jesus. It says, therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and again, that in Christ is so key here, they put their faith and trust in that in Christ, he's a new creation. It's like brand new. The old has passed away, the behold, the new has come. So biblically speaking, uh, this good news of the gospel, those of us who are made a part of God's family, uh, are those are in Christ, those who have been born again. And the only way to be a part of God's family is through God's only begotten son. This is so important for us. You're not a part of God's family because you were just baptized, although it's important. You're not a part of God's family just because you're a part of a church, although that's important. You are a part of God's family if you are a part of what God's only begotten son has done being in Christ, then you're a new creation. So let me, let me unpack this. This is so important. What is it? This is the gospel. The gospel is this. By God's sheer grace alone, through faith alone, and the work of Christ alone as our Savior, in that grace-faith connection, our life is connected to Jesus. In God's eyes, in God's economy, now watch this, he sees us as we are, as if we were in Christ. Christ Jesus is our hero. Uh, Christ Jesus is our advocate. Uh, we are either in the first Adam or in the second Adam, Christ Jesus. And all of his actions represent us. As Jesus goes, so do his people. Just as in Adam, all of us fell with him. But let's get more clear on this. Jesus' righteous life is credited to our account. God is holy. God, God has to deal with sin. That God had a standard that had to be met. And no one met it. And we all have fallen short of that perfect standard. So what did God do? He would send his only son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem us, to adopt us, to be the spotless lamb of God who would have no, no, no sin, be like us in every way, be tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. So what happens in Christianity is this amazing exchange takes place that the record of Jesus, not only the only 
begotten son. He's the only obedient son. God says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to count it as if you had done that, that you are in Christ. His record is your record. My man, John Ward back there is a very gifted golfer. He shoots close to scratch, which means that I hate him. No, no, which means that he, he usually is right around par, which is an incredibly hard thing to do. And so if we were out playing uh, at the end of the day, uh, I could turn in John Ward's scorecard. I'd be a whole lot better of a golfer, but that would be cheating, right? I mean, I mean, my card versus his card, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely different. Those of you who know snowmen's, mine got a lot of them, his does it, right? But at the end of the day, Jesus has got a perfect scorecard that the Father accepts for us. That's being righteous in Christ. But there's more than that. Jesus is atoning death. He died for our sins. He died for us. Um, literally, it says in this passage of Paul, he said some weird language. Did you hear it? You've died with Christ. You want to say, wait, wait a minute. What, what, what do you mean? I mean, Jesus was 2,000 years ago. How did I die with Christ? It says you've been raised with Christ. Wait a minute. How have I been raised with Christ? Well, your sin, if you're a believer, was placed on Jesus. Not just some of it, all of it. And the Father's wrath was poured out upon his Son that our sin deserved. So our sin fully paid for on the cross. And so amazing his death on the cross, not just a symbol of love, not just a good moral example, it's salvation here, right? I mean, for a Christian, we say, I've died with Christ. Spiritually, um, there, my sins were there. And Jesus' glorious resurrection, it's more than just an Easter celebration. For us, it's really our celebration. In Jesus, we've conquered sin. In, C in Jesus, we've conquered death. Now, again, we had nothing to do with it. He had everything to do with it, but we're connected to that victory by God's grace through faith in Christ. And now, watch this. This is incredible. You're in Christ Jesus. His life, this eternal life in Christ Jesus, is now our life. It's our identity if you're found in him. Okay, let's put this down and let's, 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 let's have Paul unpack this for us in Galatians 2.20. He says it this way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Again, Paul wasn't hanging on a tree, but he says, by God's grace through faith, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul will say there was the reality of a cross that God would become, Christ would become his sin. He was crucified with Christ. He would have a new life, and now that new life reigns in him, and in the life he lives, he lives for Jesus. Colossians 3.3 3, that we just read in this passage, Paul will say this way, you have died. What do you mean you have died? Well, you're alive, but you have died if you're his. Spiritually, there was a death that happened, and your life now is with Christ in God. You have a life with Christ in God. Because of that reality, because we are part of God's family, we need to uphold God's family values. Uh, let's continue to unpack that. Uh, because we have our life in Christ, we should now draw our values from Christ. If that's true, right? If Listen, if you're a Christian, your life's not your own. It was purchased with a price. If you're a Christian, it's not about what you want, desire. You're not on the throne anymore, right? If you're a Christian, you put Christ on the throne. He is your life. That's where you got to draw your life from. That's where you draw your values from. So what do we have to do? Paul will say you need to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Hey, he's our life. He's our Savior. We seek those things. Not only that, we set our mind on the things above. 
This is, a, you know, this is what we think about. This is what we dwell on. That's in verse 2. So what does it mean that we seek, seek the things above? This is our actions, the things we do, the way we live our lives. Christians, we should be incredibly different than the world who doesn't know Jesus. Those who walk according to the flesh, those who are trying to please themselves, those who are trying to figure it out themselves. And we got to be careful because there's a lot of the American dream in this, of this self-rugged individualism of make life the way you want it to be. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is Christ has given us his life. And now we're to pursue the things that are above. Pursue the things that bring him glory. Make him happy. We're to set our minds on the things above. This is our thoughts. It should affect our thought life. This is the way, now this is where set your mind on things above. The biggest thing is this. We should see our lives and see our world differently. We should see it through the lens of the gospel. We should see it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, this is how we should see our world, through him. This is a worldview, Christian worldview. This is so important right now. So important. Our world is going to tell us this is what marriage should look like. Our world is going to tell us this is what gender should be or not be. Our world's going to tell us these are a lot of different things that we should embrace as cultured people living in this century. Now, we got to say, no, 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 let, let's set our mind on those things that are above. Let's set our mind on the things that God has given to us. We need to be seeking those things. Our worldview. Listen, the greatest thing the enemy could do for us as a church is to say it doesn't matter. The way you see the world doesn't matter. Hey, you got in, you got some insurance, now live your life the way you should live it. No, we are living testimonies. And we got to let the world know that it does matter. Everything we do matters for the glory of our great God. And this should be our worldview. I mean, our worldview should not be just shaped by Fox News or, or another newscast. Our worldview needs to be shaped by God's word. And so as a part of God's family, our pursuits, our actions, our minds, our thoughts need to be shaped by Jesus. We're Jesus people. Uh, we, we should have the aroma of Christ. We should stink like Jesus, uh, you know? Uh, that we, we should be identified as those who love each other in Jesus' name, uh, those who pursue hard after him. Okay, because we have our values uh, from Christ, that worldview, we must put off our old self. Remember that born-again thing? We all, by nature, are born sinners. We all, by nature, need to be born again. And we got to put off that old self. So what does that mean? He says there's certain things you're to put to death. Interesting, put to death that which is in you, which is earthly. Well, how do I do that? Well, he gives us some specific things. In Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, uh, therefore, which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. It's kind of interesting. He says, put these off. Why? Because it's adultery. I'm sorry, idolatry. <laughs> yes, adultery. It's idolatry. It says, your value should be God, not these things. These things become more important than God to you. They rival God. It's idolatry. You've made them a pursuit that's outside the bounds. Put it to death. Don't just carefully avoid it. When it comes to some of these sexual broken things, you know, God's going to say, listen, put me, value me so much more above the flesh. And then it's going to, verse 6, to say, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath is coming. So this is really important for Christians. Stick with me. This, this is, I don't want you to miss this nuance. It's important. When God says to us, the wrath of God is coming against these things, what does it mean for me who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? 
Well, it shows me that God is angry because he's holy. And these are his values, and we should value them as well. But let me just spend a second about this. God is going to love his children, and he's going to love us enough that he's going to bring sin to the surface to be dealt with. And our sin that separates us from God's communion with him, he's going to want us to deal with and confess and repent and believe. Um, and it affects that relationship. But if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are his, remember the wrath of God for your sin has been poured on his son. He's not a God of double jeopardy. He's not going to pour his wrath upon you for your sin that Jesus paid for. All right? He's going to reveal the wrath of God is coming for that sin. But the sinner saved by grace is going to escape. But he's going to deal with us as a father deals with his children. If you need more explaining than that, I'm not sure I nailed that. But I just want you to know that that wrath is important and reveals a holy God. But for those of us who are his, that wrath burned on Jesus. Um, and he's going to treat us differently than that. Okay, but put away. Uh, put away certain things. Um, it's going to say, and these things you too once walked, in verse 7, when you were living in them. This is before we came to Christ. We walked in a certain manner. We lived for ourselves. But now we're to put these away. Christians, we shouldn't have anger and wrath the way the world does. We shouldn't live our lives with malice and slander and obscene talk uh, from your mouth. It's interesting how many things of us in the flesh, how many things are verbal here. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Don't put on the dirty clothes. That was my whole point of the king's kids. Who wants to go into the dirty laundry and put on dirty clothes, right? I mean, if you're out working in the yard, I mean, don't you love it sometimes when you, when you work up a good sweat? Uh, I don't know about you, I do, but the only thing better than a good sweat and a good workout is a getting clean, right? And getting bathed and putting on something that's clean. I mean, who in the world is going to go out and work out or, or, or work in the lawn, get all gross and gunky, and to take a nice shower and then put on dirty clothes? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, that's just gross. It's gross. Let's just be honest. And in God's eyes, he's saying, listen, Christ died for that. That's your old life. Put it off. Don't be putting on these old clothes. Don't, don't, don't. They, they, they smell. They're not going to lead you to life. They're going to take you away from me. Put it off. Quit it. But put on. We must put on our new self. Read again with me verses 10 through 14. And we have put on the new self. Remember, that's born again in Christ, this new nature, which being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And here in Christ Jesus in the gospel, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's, listen to who, who, who we are. Put on, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It doesn't say to become God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It says because we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord God forgave you, so you must also forgive. And by the way, and above all these things, put on love, love for God and love for your neighbor, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love the fact it says, and by the way, put on love, not judgment, you know, don't be sneering down your neighbor, I mean, the bottom line, put on love. Why? Because we're being renewed in the image of our creator, becoming more like Jesus is the goal. 
Our goal is where Christ is all and in all. And I hope that you saw this. If you are a part of God's family, it's all by God's grace through faith. But if you're a part of God's family, here's how he calls you. Here's how he describes you. Chosen ones. Holy, which means set apart. Holy in Christ Jesus and beloved. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. Chosen, holy, and beloved. My mirror tells me something different about myself. My life often reflects something that's not quite this. But in Christ Jesus, by God's grace, this one, chosen, holy, and beloved. And now live that out. Live that out. Put on that new self for the world, for God's glory, for the world to see. And lastly, we must let the gospel rule our lives. I love how this ends. It's going to end with some let us. Let, well, listen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you have peace in your hearts? Do you have the peace of God? Well, listen, if you're in Christ Jesus, the blood of Christ has brought you peace with a holy God. That's the reality. That's the standing that's true. But the peace of God, the peace of God dwells in our hearts when the God of peace or the Prince of peace reigns over our hearts. Did you hear that? The peace of God dwells in our hearts when the God of peace or that Prince of peace reigns over our hearts. If you're in fear, you got something else reigning over your heart. Let the peace of God reign. Christ is enough. When he said it's finished, it was true for you and me too. Our sins are paid. Our Our future is secure. But then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And, oh, church, I feel like we've missed this so much. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. For the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, you have to dwell in God's word. You got to know it. You got to open it. You got to get in it. And it's not just moralistic, hit you over the head, like get in your Bibles more and read more. Why? No, listen, we want to have the word of God dwell in you. The word of Christ dwell in you. Why? Because it's going to bring you peace. It's going to bring you joy. It's going to bring you understanding. Uh, It's going to be your guide. It's going to be a light unto your feet and a light unto your path. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. It's going to taste sweeter than honey. Um, This is God's word. Let it dwell in you richly. I guarantee you have one at home. I guarantee you probably have multiple ones at home. And I guarantee it's probably not the first thing we reach for. And again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm saying as a church, for us to live as God intended us to live, we got to let his word dwell richly in us. And we got to, this is what I'm going to tell you every Sunday. I'm going to try to preach from nothing other than God's word. Because what we want to do is raise up disciples that know God's word. Why? Because we need the mind of Christ. We need to dwell on the word of God. We need to be people of the book. The Bible shapes our worldview. We need to let the the word dwell richly so the peace of Christ dwells richly. And I got to tell you, the world's going to think we're crazy. I believe in the sanctity of life because I believe in the sovereignty. I, I believe in God's word. I believe in so many things because my culture says one thing about many things we'll talk about, marriage, gender, We're going to talk about those things. And it doesn't matter what my opinion is. What is God's opinion? And what is his value? And what does he value? And why? How does this reflect him? Hit pause. He's gracious and merciful. He's loving and kind. And the way the church has dealt with this has been so wrong over the years. We've got to embrace that. Oftentimes we're just doing this to the world. And all we're trying to do is give them a moral standard that they're missing. As if we make it. 
None of us make the moral standard. Let's get over that, right? None of us do. Only in Christ Jesus are we forgiven and free. We're just like them, except for the blood and righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So the way we do is we put on love that binds all things together. And we are filled with humbleness. We're filled with graciousness because we know the reality of who we are. Apart from Christ, there go I. But boy, we don't try to figure out what does the world say about this? We got to start by saying, what is the word made flesh? What does the word of God say about this? And live our lives. You see, the world should boo Christians who don't live like the royal family. They should boo us. <laughs> we, you know, when, when uh, Harry uh, and Meghan got booed because they're like part of the royal family, not living it. I mean, the world should mock us like they are a bunch of hypocrites. And we are. Let's embrace that. But the reality is we should strive to be more like Christ. Strive to have that word of God dwell richly. Jesus gave us a meal to remind us that we got to put off the old self, put on the new self. Jesus reminds us that we are family. He reminds us that God's family values matter. We see them tangibly here. Jesus gives us a meal that empowers us to live for Christ. This is God's family values right here in a sermon in a meal, that God values us enough to have his son be broken for us. He values us enough that his son's blood would be shed so we could be cleansed and forgiven. He feeds us to strengthen us to tell the world the good news, that we are a part of his family, and they can join that family too by God's grace and faith in Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, it's not easy because we realize we live in a time that doesn't value you, doesn't value your word. And God, the, the, the worldview out there is so far from a Christian world ethic. But God, we're your people. We are your chosen ones, holy and to be blameless in your sight and beloved. So God, may we be a people who the peace of Christ really does rule our minds. And we are be a people that the word of God does richly dwell in us, that we get our family values from you because we get our life in Christ. And now, God, come feed your people in Christ, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.